Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting and compelling stories to come off the desks of Interfish journalists. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I'm joined today by Rachel Sapin here in Seattle and John Fiorillo. We're going to jump right in. This is our creepy, crawly, worms and fish edition, thanks to Rachel Sapin's fantastic piece on nematodes and wild seafood and wild salmon in particular. Let me lay the groundwork for this story, because I'm the originator of it. Um, it so happens that I'm a big wild salmon eater, in particular during uh, the wild salmon season when, when I can get it fresh. And what I seem to have noticed uh, over the past few years, uh, both in frozen and fresh, is a higher incidence of anisocids uh, visible on the flesh of the fish. So I grew up on wild salmon. Uh, it's absolutely certain that I've eaten my weight and more in nematodes. Um, but what we wanted to investigate was whether or not the problem is indeed getting worse, um, what retailers are doing to combat it, um, and what, if, if anything, can be done. Um, the retailers where I found these uh, found the issues, uh, I'm not going to name. And the reason I won't uh, is because it's so extensive that it wouldn't be fair to say this is one particular uh, store that's, that's caused the problem. Um, but it made me angry to see them so visible because um, it speaks to me uh, about some, some serious issues the industry does need to look at. Um, should the industry care? Again, does it pose a reputational risk? Um, Rachel, tell us a bit about the story uh, about anisocids and what, in general, the industry attitude is toward it. Yes, this was definitely a Drew-inspired story. I've gone so deep into this. I've heard from his mom about what she used to do with salmon. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, so pretty much what we found out is um, a type of nematode uh, called the anisocid nematode is found from in anywhere from 1% to 10% of Pacific wild salmon sold commercially in the U.S. And that means if you're purchasing 10 fillets a week, you might you're definitely eating one nematode unlikely more and this is pretty normal uh, in the industry because nematodes are naturally occurring they're not considered um, something that poses a huge health hazard um, they're a naturally occurring parasite and we just kind of follow USDA guidelines that say you know that's why you need to cook fish that's raw to a certain uh, point and that is also why uh, sushi retailers in the US have to commercially freeze salmon so really it's kind of a well-known fact um, among <laughs> processors and inspectors and retailers that, you know, nematodes happen, and they happen a lot in wild salmon, and uh, it's just a matter of making sure that they are not, uh, you know, that they're not harming consumers. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting story and, and also a kind of dismaying story in a lot of senses. And, um, yeah, Drew, what, what did you find most interesting? I guess it being an obsession passion of yours i will cop to that it's become a strained obsession of mine so it doesn't gross me out the consumption of a, a worm does not gross me out i eat wild salmon all the time i had it night before last didn't even think about it where i have a problem with this is the high visibility of nematodes on wild salmon at retail that's come along with what i've seen as a general decline in the quality of refresh salmon in particular and again once you freeze a fish the nematode is dead. Uh, but freezer burn, gaping, and nematodes, 
that should not be a part of a consumer experience. As you said, Rachel, the consumer health impact is minimal. It's incredibly rare for it to burrow into your intestines. It's gross when you see it, uh, but it's not going to hurt you. But it does speak to me about the general lack of quality control. If I, as a general everyday consumer, go to a store and see this, you've probably lost me as a salmon consumer forever, if not a seafood consumer forever. And that means that processors, wholesalers, inspectors, the fish counter staff, it's, it have all let this go through. And that's telling because it seems from your reporting that nobody really is taking responsibility. There's kind of a collective shrug. Um, but the industry needs to get on top of this, I think, and get to the bottom of, of whether or not it's getting worse. And even if it is just standard, then what, what needs to be done to improve quality control? Because there should be no sacrifice in purchasing wild salmon, simply because it's sustainable and contributes to an important regional economy. That's still not a fair trade-off. So we're, we're going to find nematodes in, in fish. They're going to be there. But, uh, but they should, again, I, I don't think they should be visible. Um, and there are some simple things that, that you can do. Um, we went on a field trip here in Seattle because I, I wanted to, uh, to show John and Rachel some previously frozen product to see if I could identify for them what, what nematodes look like when, when they are uh, visible in previously frozen product in particular. And my hope, honestly, was that we wouldn't see any uh, because most of the time you, you should and do see quality product. But uh, lo and behold, we went to this retailer. And again, I, I don't see this as a particular retailer issue. I see this as an industry uh, issue. Uh, we walked up to the fish counter, took a look at some uh, lovely fresh coho fillets. And Mr. Fiorillo, what did we see? <laughs> we saw <coughs> a fillet of salmon in the case, several of them. And one of them... I don't believe I'm going to say this, had a worm on it, a very visible nematode, uh, he wasn't moving, I think it was dead or sleeping, but it was there. Uh, wait, wait, Did, do they sleep? Do they rest? I don't know. I mean, just, were they, you saw it as just kind of taking a snooze there, just kind of taking a break from his worming? It was a big fillet, a lot of crawling to do, who knows? Clearly, Rachel is the expert here, but John, please continue. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yes, okay, this is a problem of some, some magnitude, I guess. But, you know, there are a lot of videos on the Internet showing, um, <coughs> unfortunately, it's often a Costco fillet um, with a worm on it. And my question immediately to Rachel was, well, is this, will this result in some big PR crisis that the industry has to handle? And I, I mean, at this point, this has been going on for a long time. There's lots of videos out there showing this on salmon, and I've not seen any evidence that it's had any impact at all. Now, if it was just one person buys it for dinner and they bring it home and they see that, yeah, that's probably going to turn them off to salmon. But I don't see any broad implication at this point. Well, that's not really true, right? Because we talked to some retailers, and the results were mixed. But 
it is a problem. Not everybody's happy with it. No, that's true. That's true. And as one of uh, one of the people we talked to said, you know, if this customer comes back complaining of this, there's uh, you uh, you know you can't apologize enough for for what happened, and there's really no way to to uh, make them feel better about it because worms and food just generally don't go together. So, yeah, I I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I just don't see it becoming this massive, um, you know, image uh, damaging thing for wild salmon. But I will just go back to your point about the overall quality. When I go to the grocery store and I look at the uh, fresh case, the gaping and the, the freezer burn and just the poor look of so much of this wild salmon is, I, I mean, honestly, I don't buy much of it anymore just for that reason. So, Rachel, did you get a sense when you were talking to people across the value chain, and this is really a question to both of you, too, is who is responsible then for checking these and and checking this issue? And, John, you brought up exactly what part of the problem is, I think, uh, and what it indicates when you see worms on your fish. Um, who Who is responsible for this? Because you could say the fish counter employee is. I don't know myself. When I pointed out to one fish counter person um, at, a, at a retail store, she said, well, you know, it's wild salmon. This particular filet had multiple. Um, and, and her saying that it's wild salmon, that to me is not doing a favor to seafood consumption. And you're right, John. It may not be a wide-scale problem yet, um, and yes, there are some viral videos out there, including one that came out just this morning. And, and maybe they haven't gained too much traction. But, you know, in this day and age and the way that social media can can move information around the world so quickly, I don't know that uh, that it won't become a problem in the future, or at least the industry should be prepared for that. So, Rachel, um, any thoughts on the people you talk to on where the ball might be being dropped or who's responsible? Well, I think it's kind of both. And I just realized I said um, USDA earlier in the podcast, and I meant to say U.S. Um, Food and Drug Administration. That's the guidelines we follow for uh, what to do about killing parasites, nematodes on wild salmon. So that's the guidelines that Alaska seafood producers follow where most of our wild salmon comes from and processors follow. Um, so that's a different agency. Just wanted to point that out. And um, also, yeah, I think it's mixed kind of where the ball falls. It really depends on kind of your how you look at eating a wild product. Um, it's obviously going to be different from a farm product. That was my input from an Oregon State University food expert who explained to me, you know, it's a it's in the wild and things in the wild get worms and it just kind of isn't it a nicer option than the sea lice you get on farm salmon if you're going to have to choose and that's important right because evidence has shown that farm salmon does not tend to suffer from nematodes correct and that's where farm salmon has a benefit is that it actually you know through feed and innovation farm salmon is very clean it can be very clean compared to a wild 
product. Um, but it also, you know, is subject to certain issues too, like sea lice, which um, this brings me actually to one of the former retailers I spoke with, um, Phil Gibson, who used to be the Safeway guy, Safeway buyer for decades. And he said that he sees issues with sea lice over nematodes and has seen from his previous roles um, much more. It's much more of an issue, sea lice, than nematodes. But that being said, he said nematodes have come up, um, that he, that Safeway where he worked had a zero nematode policy promised by some suppliers. And he didn't say which suppliers, but he did say, you know, they would still get maybe half a dozen nematode riddled fish per year to, that they would sell to some poor customer. But um, he said it never rose to the issue of being a crisis. But, you know, in that case, in uh, Phil Gibson's case, it sounds like it was a, the supplier's uh, responsibility to ensure there were no nematodes. It sounds like they can't really do that because apparently nematodes are all throughout wild salmon. Um, going back to that food scientist I spoke with, uh, she mentioned you'd have to pretty much tear a fillet apart to get all of the nematodes out. Sometimes you can't see them. Um, so you just wouldn't be able to really use our commercial industrial process if you wanted to get rid of all the nematodes, uh, which is kind of an interesting thought. And then also, yeah, I mean, I could go on. And then, you know, there's there's who we talked to at Botter, um, who I'm thinking of is uh, Dennis Schreiber, the CEO of Botter North America, who said, you know, he's kind of upset that there's not an inspection process for nematodes. He does see it as a quality issue. Uh, for the fish. And he says that's on the company's research and design list, uh, something that he wants to work on, but that it's an extremely important issue for seafood. So again, like you were saying, you know, people are all over the board um, when it comes to nematodes. It's a really interesting subject in that sense for seafood. Your contrast on farm salmon is very interesting because, John, this goes to your point about quality. There's no question, and this is going to be a fact of life, for wild salmon and wild seafood. But I don't believe that any quality issues for seafood are forever, especially with companies like Botter and Morel looking at these issues, looking at technologies to address them. And technology is moving so quickly on processing. But it's farms fish that has this interesting advantage from the quality and visual presentation perspective, uh, especially when it comes into the non-wild season. But there are things that can be done about that. There are QC things that can be done about that. I think wild salmon has this halo around it, um, which I, I agree with in, in many senses in terms of the way uh, it supports uh, a regional economy, uh, in terms of the taste when it comes straight out of the water. And there are a lot of processing companies that put a lot of effort into taking care of wild salmon when they're producing frozen fillets or uh, when they're delivering fresh product. Um, so there are things that, that can be done. Um, wild salmon's never, certainly off-season, going to have the advantage that uh, farm salmon has in terms of presentation, in terms of availability, of course. But um, but there, there, uh, there doesn't need to be such a wide gap in quality. Things can be done. I have to believe that. I mean, look at the difference between uh, just a, a few years ago uh, with icing and, and the way that uh, that uh, seafood companies have recognized that 
better quality uh, can lead to uh, can lead to better prices and can lead to uh, broader markets. So there, there does not have to be acceptance of an issue like this, at least from a visual perspective. Um, it, it may not be an issue that warrants massive panic and certainly may not be an issue that warrants uh, big money being spent into addressing. Um, the other contrast with farm salmon and farm fish, I think, in general, um, is there is a, a far greater awareness of the threat that social media plays. Um, and social media, I think, you know, it, it's just getting started. It feels like it's been here a long time. It feels like we've reached kind of the zenith of how these, uh, how these platforms can, can share and move information around the globe. But that's absolutely not true. We're actually just at the beginning. And so I do think that seafood companies better be prepared for how to handle these things um, and, and how to be aware of them. Because when they do pop up, they may seem like a small thing. Um, but go ahead and, and, and Google uh, salmon worms, salmon nematodes, whatever you want to do. And you'll see a lot, a lot, a lot of viral videos coming up. Um, and uh, like you said, John, maybe haven't had a big effect as of now, um, but they certainly could. Uh, they certainly could. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, you mentioned whitefish, and it's kind of interesting because, as as you noted, these nematodes are in cod and other whitefish, uh, pretty common. And you're because you can see through these uh, fillets, so to speak, you can candle them or light them and see the worms and go take them out, which is great. But um, buyers have also adjusted uh, their buying patterns with whitefish because over time they've discovered that certain areas during certain times of years, often the summer months, are not the time to really buy whitefish because the, there's a higher um, likelihood and presence of, of these worms. So while that that's very effective for them, I mean, they've built that into their um, sourcing, you can't do that for salmon. So, you know, to go back to uh, Rachel's point earlier, the, the one scientist said you basically would have to rip these fish apart um, to get all the nematodes out of them. So, you know, from a quality point of view, that's not acceptable, obviously. So I hope, I hope there is a technology um, solution down the road, but it seems a pretty daunting issue that while we don't like it and there's a lot of quality discussion around it, consumers don't seem to... A, know anything about it, or B, care about it right now. I agree. And in a large sense, what consumers don't know won't hurt them. And there's a need to be less squeamish about food in general. And Rachel, I can't remember what you said, the number of bug parts that are allowed in peanut butter and chocolate. I'm not excusing nematodes, but there's bugs everywhere. Yeah, I was going to ruin two things for us this time because I felt like looking something else up just to show, like, man, if we're going to get into what little things are in our food, I mean, we could have a heyday. Okay, so, yeah, for peanut butter, it's actually fun. It's um, the FDA, and this is on our story, which is really fun. You can actually link – we link to the FDA allowances of uh, 
less than ideal things in our food, and they allow an average of 30 or more insect fragments per 100 grams of peanut butter. And I just learned, I was looking up some other stuff, and they actually allow 60 or more insect fragments per 100 grams of chocolate. So if you're a chocolate fan, yum. And they also allow one or more rodent hairs in chocolate. So, you know, it's kind of like, are we going to pick apart our chocolate for those rodent hairs? I don't know how chocolate making works. I hope someone listening will, you know, comment on that process. And maybe I'm way offline, but um, off key, I just think it's, you know, it is kind of a, where do you draw the line? Uh, And that with really serious health concerns that we're dealing with on a daily basis and, you know, a lack of food potentially for people to consume in the future, you know, where do we raise concerns? That's a great question, and it's a fantastic story. So if you haven't read it, please go check it out. Great reporting from Rachel. Uh, Let's end it there. Just a reminder that next week we are in Trondheim, Norway uh, at Aquanor. Uh, We'll be reporting from the event, but also we have our own event, the Salmon Summit, where we'll be exploring uh, Norway's salmon development licenses and and the innovation that they've sparked uh, there. Uh, It's on the 21st. It's uh, it's midday. You can go to intrafishevents.com and find out more information on that. And then mark your calendar 2 for September 19th where uh, Intrafish and DNB will be putting on the London Seafood Investor Forum. Uh, Again, uh, please join us there. That's always a fantastic, fantastic event. Okay, folks. We'll talk to you next week.